0: But uh, we, need, we need to get along better. Early one morning, this, this husband and wife was laying in the bed arguing about who's going to get up out of the warm bed and put on the coffee. And finally, she said, you got to get up and put it on. The Bible says so. He said, the Bible don't say that. She said, yes, it does. She reached over and got her Bible and opened up. said, so it says right there, Hebrews. Now get up and make the coffee. <laughs> This this is something about human nature. We're always waiting for someone else to do something. Uh Uh-huh. Come on, somebody. Amen. Well, I've got some sad news for you. Someone else has retired. Someone else has retired. For many, many years as part of this church, someone else did far more than the normal person's share of work. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, a meeting to attend, a volunteer needed to help to do those unpleasant tasks. Everybody said, let someone else do it. Whenever leadership was needed, this wonderful person was looked to for inspiration as well as results. Someone else can work with that group, we would say. It's common knowledge that someone else was among the most generous givers. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone assumed that someone else would make up the difference. Now someone else is retired. We wonder what we're going to do. Someone else has left us this wonderful example to follow, but who's going to follow it? Who's going to do the things that someone else has always done? And most importantly, we need to to do it right come on, whatever we do, we need to do it right. We don't want to be like the husband and wife that's on the bicycle built for two and they're riding up the hill and the husband's in the front and he's just peddling for all he's got. And he gets to the top of the hill and he says, man, that sure was hard. She said, it sure was. Said if I hadn't kept the brakes on, we might've rolled backwards down this hill. The Bible teaches that we all have a job to do. And if you're like most people, a lot of times we're waiting for someone else to do it. But I just want to announce to you this morning that the position for someone else is open. If you turn turned with your Bibles with me this morning, look to the book of Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. Let your neighbor say you're called. Then look at yourself and say, I'm called too. Yes. I beseech you, but it's a prisoner of the Lord to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all lowliness. In other words, do the things that God has called you to do with humility. Don't go tooting your horn about looking at what I did and how sure wouldn't have got done if it hadn't been for me and Nobody else is helping, but I came to... No, you do it. Don't let The Bible says don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. The Bible says if you stand and boast about the things you've done, then you have your praise. But if you do it in secret, then you will be praised openly by God. So you do it with humility, with lowliness. Don't be haughty about it. Then he says, and do it with gentleness. In other words, don't be pushy and demanding criticizing others that don't do it your way. You want to be gentle about how you do it. You don't want to force people to see it your way and do it your way. You do what you do, and you do it with gentleness and humility. And it says to do it with long-suffering. Other people may not work at your pace, you see what you're wanting to get done and you, you're pushing through to get it. But other people, you've got to help them come along. They may not see what you see and know what you know. So you have to be patient. You have to be long-suffering in the things that you do. And then he says, do the things that you're called to do, bearing with one another in love. Yeah. We've got to accept the differences that other people have. And to work with each other, mostly in love with each other. We Come on, the church ought to be loving each other. Amen. Then verse 3, it says, endeavoring. Everybody say endeavoring. That means I'm really striving for, I'm working, I'm making it a priority. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's saying above everything else that you work together and be peaceable together, There should be unity. We should be like this. Come on, everybody do your hands like this. There should be unity. Everything needs to work in unity because if it's not unified, it won't work. You you take a machine. Every part in that machine has a specific function, and if it doesn't function properly, the machine won't work. You take a four-stroke combustible engine. It's got cylinders, it's got pistons in it, and it's doing this. It's got four stroke, it's got the compression stroke, it's pushing up the gas that's in it. It fires. That spark plug has to fire just at the right time when that piston reaches top dead center. It fires and it pushes it down on the second stroke, the power stroke, which motivates and drives whatever it's pulling. Then it comes up on the exhaust stroke. When it's coming up on the exhaust stroke, all that spent gas in there has got to go somewhere. There's a valve that has to open just at the right time to push that exhaust out. Then it closes, and another valve opens to let the gas in to suck in more gas on the intake stroke. Then that valve has to close for the next compression stroke, and it keeps doing that over and over and over again. If that thing throws a rod, you ever heard of an engine throwing a rod? The rod breaks. One part, just one part of that machine malfunctions. The whole thing stops. Your car, brother, you throw a rod in your car, it's done. There's nothing else on that automobile going to work because one part is not doing its part. You got to be unified. Every part needs to supply what it's supposed to do and do what it's supposed to do if the machine's going to work. If you, and the same thing is true with your body. Uh, my, my daughter-in-law, one time, she dislocated her shoulder. Anybody ever had a dislocated shoulder? Chelsea, you know what I'm talking about, Gene. Remember, she dislocated, oh my goodness, that's painful. And brother, I'm gonna tell you, you don't have to dislocate your shoulder, just hit your finger with a hammer. Huh? That little bitty thing right there. Just hit that with a hammer. That one T90 itty bitty little thing in the whole body is malfunctioned. Amen? Because we we need it all working together. Verse four says, there is only one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, One God and father of all who is above all and through all. And he is in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I bolded that. You ought to underline that. Grace was given according to the measure of the gift that Christ has given you. Someone said to me this week, so pastor, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you do it. We, we got some sad news. I'm, I'm, I'm working out in the shop and I get a phone call. It's a, it's a Louisa County deputy. He says, I'm at the house of one of your church members and one of your church members has passed away. And his wife has asked me to call you. Preston Travis died this week. We know him as buddy. And so I, I dropped what I'm doing. I, I said, I'll be right there. I called Jeannie up. I said, honey, I need you to come home. We, we got to run up to Buddy and Kathy's house. I said, Buddy has passed away. She's like, what? And then we're up there uh, <clears throat> ministering to Kathy. And uh, a couple hours later, I get another phone call. And Brother Mike Harlow has told me that his mom passed away that same morning. And, and I'm talking to somebody in the church said, Pastor, how, how do you do it? I'm going to tell you how I do it. God gives you the grace to do whatever he calls you to do. You can't do it. I can't do it. But God gives you the grace to do whatever he calls you to do. Let's read it again. Verse four. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Verse seven. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Whatever He's called you to do, He will give you the grace to do it. Verse 8, therefore, He says, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and He gave gifts to men. Church, your gift, your calling is yours, it's not someone else's, it's yours. And God has called you to do it. He has graced. He didn't grace someone else to do that. He didn't call someone else to do that. He has called you to do it. Yeah. And he is gracing you to do it. I'm not even rebuking you, church. I'm trying to encourage you this morning. This is not a rebuke. I want you to see that God has a yeah. call on your life. Yeah. He has gifted you with something no one else could do. Yeah. He has graced you to do what no one else can do. When we planted this church here, I am the last person on earth that I would have put in this position. Oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. I, I can't do this. I can't do this. But by God's grace, you can do anything that he calls you to do because he will grace you to do it. My children says, Dad, you turn into a different person when you step into that pulpit. I said, I know It's not me up here. It's the grace of God that's upon me to do what he's called me to do. And that same grace is upon you to do what God has called you to do. Mm. Mm. Verse 11, he says, And he himself, God gave some apostles and he gave prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. See, my job is to provide you with everything that you need to help you do the things that you're called to do, you're gifted to do, and you are graced to do. My job is to equip you so that you can do that. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we are looking at this precious sacred book because this is what equips us. That's why we come and we sit into the word and we hear and learn and go out and put it into practice. Church, I pray that each and every one of us will be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. We don't want to be a forgetful hearer. We want to be a doer of what God has called us to do. Amen? Verse 12, he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Your job is to edify. The word edify means to charge up, to build up the body of Christ. And sometimes we have to correct one another. We have to rebuke one another. But that is actually a part of the building up Come on, if you're doing something that's going to hurt you, you need to be corrected so that you don't hurt yourself. That is instead, it's actually helping you by correcting you. Amen? My my mom and dad saw fit (laughs) that I did the right thing by correcting me. Because if they hadn't, oh Lord, there's no telling where I would have wound up. I got like two to three times more whippings than, than both of my brothers put together. Oh yeah, I'd ride home from church and I'd be sitting on mama's lap saying, "I was your good little boy today in church." And she's like, I, "She'd give me a choice between the belt or the switch when I got home." Because <laughs> she's like, "When you get home, you're getting a spanking," and she kept her promise. She didn't lie about that. Verse thirteen says, "Till we all come into the unity." Everybody say unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting in other words, we need to be unified, church. You need to be connected to the body of Christ because there is a spiritual power that wants to divide and conquer. Yes. When you're separated from the body, you are you've been you're defeated. You're defeated. So God called us to be in unity. Verse 15, but speaking the truth and love, we may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joint joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. What that's talking about is every single part, it has its part. And if one part doesn't do what it's designed to do, it can malfunction the whole thing. Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Oh, God. God, it is yes and amen. Father, your word is like a two-edged sword proceeding out of your mouth, dividing between the joint and marrow And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God, we pray today as the word is declared from this pulpit, Lord, that people everywhere will hear God that they have a purpose, and you have a purpose for their life. They, you have a plan for their life, God. You have gifted them to do it, God. You have called them to do it, God, and you will grace them to do it, Lord. And so that the body of Christ can be fit together, knit together, Lord, and every joint supplies, may they find their gifting, God, their calling, God, and they walk in the grace that you've given them, Lord, to complete that, Lord, that we can come into the unity of the body of Christ that you have called us to, Lord. Now, God, I can't do that, Lord. I I preach my heart out, but God, we need the Holy Spirit here this morning, Lord, to touch every single person's heart, Lord, to open their eyes, God. I pray that you open the, the eyes of their spirit, God. Open their hearts, God, to be able to hear, Lord. God, in Revelation, you said, him who has ears to hear, let him hear, God. Father, you said that there will be a time when people have eyes to see, but they won't see. They'll have ears to hear, but they won't hear. God, I pray that today, God, People will have ears to hear and eyes to see. What thus saith the Lord in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Also in Romans 12, we see a similar passage speaking the same subject. If you'll look at that with me, Romans chapter 12, verse 4, it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, like that machine have every part, we all have our part, but we are all a part of the same machine. We're all a part of each other, all right? And and a lot of times, church, listen, the reason you're not doing what you're called to do is because I'm not doing what I'm called to do. And you can't do what you're called to do till I do what I'm called to do. Amen, the piston sets there, it's intact. But if it throws a rod, that piston can't do a stinking thing because the rod's what pushes it. So sometimes you can't do your part because somebody else is not doing their part. Come on. Uh-huh. Not rebuking you, I'm encouraging, all right? I don't mean this to sound like a rebuke. Be encouraged, all right? Verse six is, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. There he says it again. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. <clears throat> so, my job is to lead. Right? I'm not a great leader. I, I, I try. I've, been, I've worked at it for years. I try to get better at it. I, I, I study how great men have led and try to follow some of their examples. I love Blue Blood. I mean, you know who Blue Blood is? Commissioner Reagan. That guy's a great leader, man. I, I take notes from, uh, from uh, Commissioner Reagan, Tom Selleck. He, he's my wife's boyfriend, by the way. She, she thinks that's the most handsome man that's ever lived, you know. He used to be the young magnum PI, if you don't know who I'm talking about. He was one good looking dude, I'm gonna tell you. (laughs) Not that I'm there, but he he was a handsome guy, you know. But anyway, he's a great leader. Well, John Maxwell is a renowned uh, inspirational leader. He wrote a book called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And one of the laws of leadership in that was called The Law of the Lid. We all have a lid. And he uses an example. He said there were these two brothers in San Bernardino, California, and they decided that they would open a restaurant. And it was a full service restaurant. They served everything. They had a menu and they had good food and people liked the restaurant. And they came up with this ingenious idea to feed people while they're still sitting in their car. And so they hired these cute little girls, put roller skates on them, and they would roller skate out to the car, take your order, and then they'd bring the food out there. It was the very first time that they had curb service, and these two men thought of it. It was a sensation. But the problem was they couldn't fill the orders fast enough, so they cut it down to just hot dogs, hamburgers, and french fries. And it was still a booming success. People had never been able to just drive up, get a meal, and sit in their car, and eat. This was like awesome It was so big that they opened another restaurant on the other side of San Bernardino. And the next thing you know, they they can hardly keep up with the, the orders. There's so many people coming there. This investor came to them and said, sir, I want to take your idea and take it nationwide. And they laughed at him. They said, nobody knows us outside of San Bernardino. He said, well, I will buy the franchise from you. And they sold him the franchise for just a couple million dollars. They were the McDonald brothers and this man, someone else, everybody say someone else took their idea and went nationwide with it. And we still have McDonald's around today because they had a law. It was the law of the lid. They didn't believe that they could do any more than two restaurants in San Bernardino church. Let me tell you something. You have a lid. What is your lid? Your lid is what you believe that God has called you to do, gifted you to do, and graced you to do. Yeah. And let me tell you something. You can do all things through Christ Jesus yes. Amen. because that's what he said. Amen. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Don't put a lid on what God has called you to do. That's right. You can do anything that God has gifted you and called you to do, yeah. no matter what that is. Yeah. The next law is the law. I'm, not, I'm only going to do two, not 21. Or if you would be here all day, if I did 21. The, the other one's the law of victory. Leaders find a way to lead to a win. We find in Ephesians chapter four and Romans 12 that he's teaching that every joint supplies, and I want to help you to find your gift and use it. Well, to do that, you have to have a leader that leads you into a place where you can win. We use an example as Abraham Lincoln, his leadership style. Lincoln delegated authority and he gave credit to his leaders. He didn't always have to be right. When Grant marched on Vicksburg and won the victory there, Lincoln actually disagreed with his strategy. But after Grant won the victory there, Lincoln said, quote, I never had any faith except the general hope that you knew better than I. I now wish to make the personal acknowledgement that you were right and I was wrong. Come on, he let them lead even if they fail. One way that I lead in this church is I give people an opportunity to serve in a ministry, I delegate them the authority to do it, and I let them do it. Sometimes, even though I know they're probably not going to succeed. This one time, God, I was looking for somebody for a particular position. I sat down at a table across from this young man and God said, he is the man, hire him. And I did. In the natural, it was the worst decision I ever made. And brother, let me tell you something, I had bullet holes everywhere in me trying to defend this guy and what he was doing. Because you talk about a failure, it was huge. But had I not called him and hired him, we would have not had our worship leader that we have today. So when I look back at the whole picture, hiring that person was what brought this person. And this person would have never been here had I not hired that failure. Sometimes you can't look at what's happening right there and, and judge the whole. You have to let God do what he does. And sometimes it looks like a failure. Sometimes you have to let people fail without fearing how it makes you Look. They learn from that. The only hope that you have is that others will understand your leadership and they will trust that there is a good reason behind your actions. Come on, sometimes the church board and I, we sit down and make decisions that we just hope that you trust we're doing the very best that we know how. <clears throat> and, and we're going before God, amen? And, and sometimes we make a bad decision. And it, there's no perfect people in this world, amen? And it fails. But even that, we learn from How many of you have ever failed at something? If you didn't learn anything else, you learned one thing. I will never do that again. Huh? Come on, stick your finger in a light socket one time. I mean, even a monkey will learn. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln, he delegated authority. He gave credit to them. But his opponent, Jefferson Davis, he micromanaged everything. He felt that he was right, and that was enough. He used excessive shares of his energy and contingent argument to prove that he was right. He always had to be right. Church, I can tell you right now, a micromanager will never succeed. Because if you're gifted at something, you're talented at something, your grace at something, and I'm over here trying to tell you how to do it, all I'm doing is limiting you yeah. and insulting you. I want to give you the opportunity to do it. and you, There's people in, our, in the leadership that's under the one thing I've learned is you surround yourself with people that do things that you can't do, that know things that you don't know. the the young man that's running these cameras right now and set up all this technology and this media ministry that's in here, I would not begin to try to tell him how to do that. Because all I would, and I've told him this, because he'll come and say, how do you want this and this? And I'm like, brother, look, if I tell you to do this, this, and this, all I'm gonna do is put you in a box. Because you understand so much more about that than I do. You go with God, brother. And because of that, we're preaching around the world today. Amen, come on. You can't micromanage it. That is, that is a recipe for failure. The, res, the results of the, the two leadership styles is one was united and they went on to victory. The other was divided and they went on to defeat. Look at Churchill, Winston Churchill and Franklin D. Roosevelt in World War II. The English prime minister, Winston Churchill, he opposed Hitler. He urged the House of Commons in 1932 and 1938 to oppose the Nazis and Hitler When he took office in 1940, he wrote this. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggling. You ask, what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. Yeah. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I answer you with one word. Victory. Yeah. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Yeah. Victory, however, long and hard the road may be, for without victory there is no survival. Yes. Amen. Church. Winston Churchill was a great leader but he would have been a failure without the united states of america enter franklin d roosevelt come on every part has its job to do he needed another part in that machine and it was called the united states military fdr had already won the victory over polio He'd already pulled the United States out of depression. He joined the team after Pearl Harbor was bombed on December the 11th, 1941, under the command of Yakamoto. He was the commander in chief of the United uh, Fleet. And he was operating under the command of Tojo Hadiki, uh, the emperor of Japan. And so we entered the, the war The result is Churchill, he had the great cause. He had great leadership. He had great vision. But without teamwork of Roosevelt and the American army, he could not achieve his goal. Church, it doesn't matter what kind of a leader you have. Are you hearing me? It doesn't matter what kind of a leader you have. You could have Jesus Christ himself in your pulpit. Well, I shouldn't say that, of course. But even Jesus, he he brought disciples around himself. All right? You could have Jesus Jr., let me put it that way, in your pulpit. But he has to have the teamwork of the body of Christ to accomplish what you're called to do. What you're called to do in this community, in this Commonwealth of Virginia, in the United States of America, in the world. Come on, we support missions around this world. This little church, the very first thing we do is support a missionary. I think if I'm correct, we're supporting like 14 foreign missionaries, right, Mike? Something like that. 14 foreign missionaries right now. And so it, it takes us all. It doesn't matter what kind of leader you've got. Churchill knew, like every great leader knows, that every joint supplies. I mean, you look at sports. You look at the sports great. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird in the NBA. They all knew it takes the team. You can't, the superstar out there by himself is going to lose. Yes. In the NFL, John Elway, Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Troy Aikman, some of you remember those names. They were great, some of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL. But they all knew a quarterback by himself is just going to get smushed. Yes. The great NBA, the baseball, Nolan Ryan, John Schultz, Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax. Now I'm going way back. I mean, who knows who Sandy Koufax is? He was a sidearm pitcher. Boy, a dude could pitch too. Don Drysdale. When I was about, I don't know, six or eight years old, I'd go out and throw rocks in the bush. I was tending like I was Sandy Koufax. I was the greatest pitcher on earth. I struck out everybody. So what would you do if the whole team was, was the whole hockey, all right, you can play in hockey and everybody wants to be the goalie. Everybody wants to be the goalie. They're all sitting there with their hockey sticks at the goal. The puck's in the middle and they're waiting if somebody hits that thing. But there's nobody to hit the puck. If everybody on the football field was all quarterbacks, down, it, hut, hut, hut. But there's no center there to hike the ball. Yeah. Brother, that game's going nowhere, amen. <laughs> if everybody's a pitcher, you got nine pitchers on the mound, that batter's up there and he's, the umpire says, play ball. And all of a sudden, nine balls comes at the batter. I mean, that's, that's silly stuff, I know. But sometimes we just don't understand the game. Do you understand the game? <clears throat> in, the, in the body of Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. In, in the body of Christ, sometimes I don't think we understand the, the principle of the game, what we're called to do. We're called to build the body of Christ. We're called to win the loss. We're sort of like the boy who took his girlfriend to the football game. She'd never been to a football game in her life. And about halfway through, he said, how are you liking the game? She said, oh, it's great, man. All those big, buff football players out there, they're crashing into each other. She said, but I just don't get it. She said, what don't you get? He said, well, she said, when they went out there at the beginning of the game, they flipped that coin and the other team won the coin and said, for the rest of the game, they kept saying, get the quarterback, get the quarterback. She said, what's the big deal? It's only 25 cents. Sometimes we serve in ministry and we just really don't understand the importance of what we're here to do and the part that we play. It's true even in business. You, You take a guy and he's, you're a part of the startup team. You've built this new, you're, you're going to build this new factory and, and they call in the startup team and say, go start up the team, go start up the factory. And he goes out there and there's nothing but a big old field of, with grass on it. He's like, what factory? the startup team is no good until you first get the earth movers out there and start moving the, the dirt. And then you got to do all the underground work, all the underground piping and the drain systems and all the electrical and all the ground wire system. And then you got to dig down and then you got to call the rod busters in and put, put in the rods. And then you call the concrete men and pour the foundation. And then you got to call the iron workers in and start setting the steel. And then you call the pipe fitters and the electricians in, you start running all of that. And then you call the instrumentation guys in and all the, the, electronic technicians in and you get everything, all the brains of it working. And then you, then you get your punch list crew to come in and see if you've forgotten anything. And then you get your, your testing crew comes in and they start charging the lines to make sure you don't have any leaks and they're throwing breakers to make sure all the, there's no wires crossed. And then you get your startup crew. They finally come in and they start starting this machine up. But church, it takes all of those things to make it work. Every person has a part that they play. Part that they provide. They all have a job to do. And it's not up to someone else to do it. It's up to them to do it. Amen? So it doesn't matter if you're talking about a sports team, an army, a business, building a factory, or a church. Victory is possible as long as every joint supplies and every someone else. Does their part. Do like this. Say, I am someone else. The position is open. Someone else is retired. You know, when it's, when it's time for someone to do it, it's like, well, someone else. No, you are. I am the someone else. First, you have to be a member of the team though. You can't supply your part until you're a part of the team. We read in Romans 12, 11, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. You have to be a part of the body of Christ to be a part of the body of Christ. Come on, you can't be a piston until you're a piston. You can't be a rod until you're a rod. I mean, you gotta be a part of the engine. You gotta be a part of the machine, a part of the process. To do that, you have to become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. It's so simple. to under- If you understand the principle that God So love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Isn't that so simple? Just putting your faith in him. John 1, 12 says, as many as believed on him. Now, the word believe in the Bible is different than what we give to the word believe. See, our word believe means to give mental ascension to something that is in fact true. There are professors that teach the Bible that do believe The Bible is true, but they don't know Jesus. They've never committed their life to him. They've given mental ascension to him, but he's never become a part of their life. The word believe in the Bible means to give your wholehearted life and commitment to what you believe. And the Bible says, as many as believed on him, to them gave he power to be the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. So when you put your trust and faith in him, you become a part of the body of Christ. You're then brothers and sisters in Christ. And many of you know that, but there's people listening today that don't know that church. And everybody needs to know if you just... And and it's just that simple. It's like, well, if you just leave them there, they're they're not going to know what to do. Well, they're babes in Christ. Babies don't know what to do. But babies grow as they're fed. All right? And so that's a starting place. Just... Put your trust in Jesus, that he came to die for the sins of men. If you will just trust him. A lot of people, it can be as simple as, God, I don't know anything about you, but I just, Jesus, if you're real, I ask you to come into my heart. I give my life to you. And God, I believe that God meets every person wherever their faith is. He meets them right wherever their faith is. Sometimes we put more restraint. We make it so hard to get saved that nobody could get saved. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody. So both of the scriptures we, we read said that God gave gifts unto men. Oh, I'm sorry. First, you've got, to be a part of the, you've got to be a part of the team. What qualifies you to be a part of the team is that you, you become a born-again child of God. The next thing you know, need to do is you need to be connected to the body because every joint supplies, every, every part of your bone structure, there's a joint that connects it. And if that comes apart, man, that, that thing's not gonna work. So the next thing you gotta do is you gotta be connected to the body. And church, I'm going to tell you, there is an all-out attack against churches. And I believe in response to this COVID-19 has become a divisive thing in the body of Christ. Right here in our church, it's been a divisive thing. People not agreeing with how we handled it. Maybe we didn't handle it right. I don't know. We handled it the best we knew how. This is uncharted water. We did the best we know how. But don't let that divide you from the body. My goodness. It's time to get locked in, not separated. Satan knows that if he can divide, he can conquer. And if you are separated from the body of Christ, you are useless. And the body of Christ, the machine is going to struggle because there's parts that need to do their job that can't do their job because you're not doing your job. If you've allowed the enemy to divide you and separate you, you need to come back and be reconnected to the body because the Bible has commanded us to be united, not divided. That doesn't make me right and you wrong. It doesn't make you right and me wrong. It doesn't matter who's right. The enemy, all he wants to do is point out this and that and that about you, and you start criticizing and nitpicking and finding fault, and, 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 and the next thing you know, he has won because he has, he has thrown a rod in the machine. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Come on. Now, I'm preaching better than you amen right now. He's thrown a rod in the machine. And maybe I was the rod that he'd thrown. What, pray for me. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm right all the time. The board's not right all the time. If you disagree, you can point it out. and Believe me, we've had some people point out that they disagreed, you know. And we considered that. We're not always, we do it and just say, well, we're right in there. No, we, there was one situation. We spent weeks investigating a complaint to make sure that what we were doing the right thing. But whatever it takes, church, You got to be united. I'm not just talking to CVAG. I'm talking to people around the world. You got to be, there's only one body. It's got to be connected. It's got to be united if it's going to work. So you got to be joined together. Scripture says that he gave gifts unto men. He gave the five-fold ministry, as we've seen. Those those are the ones that leads the team to victory. But the quarterback, the pitcher, the job foreman, the apostle, prophet, there's no good without the team. So let's close with just looking real quick at the team. What what makes up the team? We read in Romans chapter 12, 6 through 8. Verse 6, he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace of God. He said there's prophecy, there's ministry, there's teaching, there's exhorting, there's giving there is ruling and there is mercy there's seven gifts there are listed the church look this way and listen you have one or several of these gifts it doesn't matter whether you're a christian or not every person has one of these gifts you're born with it have you ever watched children playing and all, they're, they're all there, but they will just naturally gravitate to one of the children to decide what they're going to do and the game they're going to play. You ever noticed that? Huh? And it, it may not be that that child is being overbearing or pushy. They just, they just look to them for leadership. Well, that child has the motivational gift of ruling. They're born with it. They're just natural born leaders. You have a gift that God has given you. The first one he said is prophecy. Now, that doesn't mean prediction. It doesn't mean the office of a prophet. See, there's a different, these are called the, these are called the motivational gifts. Everybody has them. You have the five, there's three sets of gifts in the Bible. You have the five-fold ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. Then you have the motivational gifts. There's seven of them. And then you have what is known as the manifestation gifts. They're given by the Holy Spirit as he wills. Any one of you could have the the manifestation gift operate in you. If the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he gives you a word of knowledge, you will have a word of knowledge and you give that word of knowledge. Or a word of wisdom or prophecy or tongues and interpretation, healing. All right. Those are the manifestation gifts. What we're talking about right now are motivational gifts. Every one of you have one of these now, the, 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 the five-fold ministry gift of a prophet is a office of the prophet. He just operates or she operates in the prophetic realm. This is not necessarily talking about things in the future. This is people that can just read situations and atmosphere and stuff. They, they just have a sense about them. They're making manifest the secrets of the heart. People with this gift just seem to have an intuition about other people and the situations. They sense if things are real, if they're authentic, or if they're presumptuous, or, or or what's what's the word? If they're disingenuous, they just have a sense about them. They can. <laughs> They meet you, and no matter what kind of a facade you're putting on, they can just read your mail whether you're real or not. Huh? Come on. And they may not reveal to you that they know that you're being disingenuous, but they know because they have the motivation. And they're not, listen, they're not just being critical. They can't help it. God has just given them, they have the motivational gift of prophecy. They just can read it. It's an inspiration to, to, they are inspired by God to deliver warning, exhortation, and instruction. They're the person in the group says, you know, I don't know guys, but I, just something is telling me that this is a really bad idea. And you need to tune in. If you know that person's motivational gift is prophecy, we need that in the body of Christ. If they're saying this is a bad idea, we probably need to take a step back and say, you know what, we need to look at this again. This may not be a very good idea because God is using that part of the body to help us do what we're called to do. They have the gift of exhorting as well because the word of encouragement at the right time can change somebody forever, Amen. And then there's people sometimes they just don't know when, how, where to do something. And God will use that gift of prophecy because they can read, this person really wants to help, but they, they don't even know where to begin. So they just intuitively know to give them some instruction to kind of help them, to encourage them. The next one is the, the, the ministry gift of serving or ministry. We, the Greek word is diaconia. We get the word deacon, from that word. And we typically think of people serving in the body of Christ as this. Servants, servants, people, deacons, people working in the body of Christ. It just means to aid. These people are very task-oriented. They have the God-given ability to identify the unmet needs involved in a task and to make use of available resources to meet those needs. So they're the person that comes in and it's like... We, we, we've had a dinner for church and we're running out of food. And what are we going to do? They come in and they're like, we got some beans in there. I mean, they just take charge and like go do this and do this. They take the available means. They see what's needed and they just make, these people just make it happen. They see that the grass needs cutting. They don't look at that grass knee high and say, somebody ought to cut this grass. Someone else will do it. No, they are the someone else. So they go get their lawnmower and the husband comes down here and he gets on the tractor and he gets it going and his beautiful wife gets up on there and she mows the grass faithfully, week after week for years on end. Amen. Because they got the motivational gift of serving. Sheena, no. <laughs> Amen. God bless your heart. That's a big thing, I'm gonna tell you what. Because we, uh, there was one pastor who went to the church and they, he was a brand new pastor and the deacon board said, pastor, said, uh, we noticed the grass needs cutting. He's like, yeah, I noticed that. He said, well, the last pastor used to cut the grass. He said, what, did he? Okay. Next board meeting, they said, pastor, we noticed that grass still needs cutting. He said, yeah. so I see that. So, well, the last pastor used to cut the grass. He said, well, I called him. He said he didn't want to cut it anymore. <laughs> Martha is the example of the server. She just, Martha gets a bad rap because Mary said, Martha said, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me. Well, she saw that these people are here, they need feeding and she's going about doing what she was called, what she's gifted to do. Jesus wasn't rebuking Martha. He just said, look, Mary has chosen the better thing to sit and listen to me right now. And what he was saying, he said, Martha, Martha, you, you are busy about many things. And he was saying, look, it's all right for you to take a break, Martha. He's not saying don't fix the food. He's like, don't make that your priority. That's all he's saying. There needs to be time for both. Amen. He wasn't rebuking Martha. These are the people that make it happen. Food bank, cutting the grass, cleaning, cooking, the media, the security team, all of them. They exert in action, not in word. They're often the behind the scene people. These are some of the people that, when we get into heaven, I believe are going to be at the head of the line. You know, we think Billy Graham, those guys are going to be at the head of the line. I I think you're going to see people at the head of the line you never even heard their name mentioned. Because what they did in secret, God will reward openly. Some of the greatest people among us. Then you have the motivational gift of teaching, these are researchers. They're not always gifted teachers, but they're, you can tell, usually tell a researcher, man, they got a Greek lexicon, they got a strong concordance, they got, a, they got every kind of commentary you can think of, and they are just looking for a word in the Bible to attack, and they want to dig out all of the details of that, and they want it all printed out, and they want to regurgitate that to you, because their motivational gift is teaching when we had Wednesday night Bible study, you all can probably guess that is the motivational gift of Pastor Joel. He loves to learn and learn and consume. That guy has got a memory. He can tell you stuff he learned in high school like he read it yesterday. It's sickening. (laughs) And he retains all of that, but he's got that motivational gift. He, he He just consumes information and then he regurgitates it. It's not necessarily the ministry gift of teaching. That's different. The ministry gift of teaching is just the ability to take things and put it down on the bottom shelf so that everybody gets it. A ministry the gift, the fivefold ministry gift of teaching, the guy may not really know all of that much, but what he knows, he's able to make it simple. Amen? Then you got the exhorter, the exhortation. That's the ability to call forth the best in others through encouragement and motivation, the God-given ability to minister words of comfort, consultation, encouragement, and counsel in such a way that others feel helped and healed. In other words, you got a guy, if his motivational gift is encouragement, all right, I can go as a pastor to a hospital visit and this guy's laying there and he is broke apart in 40 different directions. and He's in pain. I'm like, bro, I can walk through the door and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And he'll look at me and say, well, if you say so, pastor. But the guy with the motivational gift of exhortation can walk through the day and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And the guy wanna get up off the bed and start shouting. What is the difference? It's his gift. God has graced him for that. He has just had, got a way to make you feel like you're exhorted. You're lifted up. You feel better because you were there. You talked to them. You are in their presence. They're very attentive people. They're very caring people. Now, not everybody. See, a lot of people expect you to have, all I don't have those gifts. And listen, you can't flow in somebody else's gift. You're not graced for that. You know, somebody commented about taking a stand to to fight against some of the restrictions that the government gave us. And they brought up the name of a pastor who's been fighting some of this stuff in court. And I said, listen, I understand that, but God has graced that man to do that. If I go to court and try to fight that battle, I will lose because I am not graced to do that. You have to learn what God has gifted you for and do that and learn what he has not gifted you for. And don't try to do that because that's not what you're called to. Amen, come on. One good place for you to to start is to know what you're not called to do. Because there are some things and people bring it up and I'm like, well, I'm not your guy on that. I just, it's not because I'm like, well, let somebody else do it. It's like, no, I'm just not gifted for that. Sometimes you have to do it. When we first planned the church, we had to wear every hat in the house, you know. <laughs> Somebody had to do it and there was nobody here to do it. So a lot of you sitting here had to wear that hat when really that, you weren't gifted for it, you weren't called to it, you weren't graced to it, but you did it because it had to be done. And then God sent people in that was gifted for that. And we can delegate that to them and it just works so much better, Amen. these people are just very tender-hearted. They're soft-spoken. They don't always use good judgment though, because they see the best in everybody. Barnabas, you know, he's wanting to bring John Mark, but Paul says, no, John Mark's not coming. Well, Barnabas had the exhort, he had the gift of exhortation. He just saw the good in everybody. I have, I've had some issues with some of you that have the gift of exhortation, because sometimes I had to be kind of stern with some situations and they thought, Pastor, you're just being mean. I'm like, no, you're an exhorter, all right? You don't see any bad in anything. I've got to deal with that. We can't let that go undealt with. But they don't want to deal with it because they just want everybody to just get along. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? Then you have the the giving God blesses these people. They have the God-given ability to understand the material needs of others and then meet those needs generously. These people look for a worthy cause to give a generous gift to. Now, sometimes they're taken advantage of. And if you're a giver, listen, I want you to use wisdom because people will mark you. They realize you're a giver and they will exploit you. A lot, of, a lot of churches will find the givers in their church that say, look, if somebody is trying to get a gift out of you, please, before you start shucking out money to them, come to us, because we may know something about the situation you don't know, because you can be very gullible. I'm not insulting you, but your heart is so big, you just want to help, you want to give, and people will abuse that. Amen? Come on. But they just, they just want to give. Then you have the ruler. That doesn't mean to be bossy. <laughs> Some people, they were like, yeah, I'm the ruler. They're self-appointed rulers. No, they're just bossy. They just want you to do it their way. You know, that, this is the kid that I told you when the kids are playing, they just naturally gravitate to. They just have the natural, God-given gift to lead. And a lot of people, are, they wanna be self-appointed leaders. Because they think they can do a better job. You're not doing it right. They got a better idea and they want to lead. And they think they're leading. Here's how you know if you're really leading or not. Look behind you and see if anybody is following. Huh? Come on. Because if there's nobody following you, you're just out for a walk. Rulers are just natural leaders. Rulers are not self-appointed. A self-appointed leader or ruler is, we, we have Absalom in the Bible. If you know who that is, Absalom, the son of David, he appointed himself as the ruler. Korah, who withstood Moses, he appointed himself as the leader of the children of Israel. The earth swallowed up Korah, and Absalom was hung by his long hair because he was beautiful, and he was stabbed through by the, David's general. Usually things don't end well for people that are self-appointed leaders, rulers. But the Greek word for ruling means, they're not self-appointed because the Greek word for ruling means to be put in front of or placed as head of, to take a position of standing over one or one in which people have asked someone to take the position of ruler. They have the God-given ability to set goals in accordance with God's purpose for the future and to communicate those goals to others in a way that they harmoniously work together for the glory of God. God just gives them grace to lead. They're not easily offended. Let me tell you something. If you want to be a ruler, if you take offense easily, you'll never make it. You'll never make it because one thing that goes with the office of leading, it is called the law of the whale. Anybody know what the law of the whale is? He who rises to the surface and blows gets harpooned. (laughs) Amen. He who rises to the surface and blows gets harpooned. Then the last one is mercy. The gift of mercy is people that just have compassion on. The extraordinary ability to feel and to act upon generous empathy for others who suffer distressing physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual pain. We see as an example the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was identified in the Bible as one who does mercy. The church, each and every one of us have one or more of those gifts. Sometimes you have more than one gift. You're dominant in one of those. And you need to identify what that gift is. I've given you, you should get a copy of this, go over and say, Lord, show me. What, what have you called me to? What have you gifted me for? What have you graced me to do? And start doing that. Because if the body of Christ is gonna be unified, if it's gonna work, every joint has to be joined together and it has to does its fair share, its part then the body will, it will work. The machine will run well. Amen? Come on, amen? So I'm gonna read it one more time and then I'm gonna close in prayer. Hunter, if you guys would go ahead and come, please. I would like for, I would like for you to sing, Hunter, um, the song that you sang about uh, God's goodness that Brittany sang, Amen. That dad just ministered to me this morning. God is so good to us, isn't he? God is so good to us. Jeannie and I, every day we sit down and and say the blessing over our food, I'm like, God, I can never ever thank you enough. You are so incredibly good to us. God, better than we ever deserved. Whew. So let me read it again, and I think it'll have a different meaning. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling. Wherewith you were called. <clears throat> to do it with all lowliness and gentleness. I'm reading Ephesians 4 1. <clears throat> gentleness with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We've all got a job to do. Amen. We don't want to wait on someone else to do it. I am. The someone else. You are the someone else. Would you stand with me, please? Church, I this message this morning was not to kind of, it was not specifically to deal with issues. I I do see a division in the body of Christ, not just CVAG. Churches around the country partly have gotten out of the practice and the habit of attending church because of the, the pandemic. All right. And they've gotten out of the practice, but not only that, others have separated themselves from the church because they didn't like the way that it was being dealt with. They feel like you're caving into the government and all those things. And there's all kinds of things that the enemy is using to divide the body of Christ. And I am urging people, I'm hoping some people that are, you know, there's on the outside for that reason, listening this morning, please don't let the enemy divide you. You know, I just felt the inspiration of the Spirit. And I'm not trying to use a fear tactic. Believe me, I'm not. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were under a pool of fire by night and a cloud by day. As long as they were under the cloud, God protected them. The Amalekites would wonder. They they would follow behind the children of Israel. They would follow behind the children of Israel and they would single out the sick, the weak, those that lagged behind. Because when they were not out, when, when they were not under the cloud, when they were separated from the rest, of the, the, the rest of the group of people, the enemy could get to them. Same thing is true with a herd of sheep. I mean, as long as the flock is together, they were protected, they were safe. But the wolf, the bear, the lion, whatever, they get the sheep that's wandered away, that's off by itself. What I'm saying to you, and I'm, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to frighten you, but it is something that's frightening. When you're not under the grace, the protection of God, when you're not doing it as he instructed us, when you're that sheep that's gone astray, or if you've, you've separated yourself, you've put yourself in a spiritually dangerous place. And I urge you for your own sake. Consider what I'm saying. You need to be united with the body of Christ. That doesn't mean you always agree. Doesn't mean we're always right and you're wrong. We're all working together for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That includes me, the church board, all those that's in leadership here. We're all the heart of the ministry is to do the will of God. Not to do my thing, to do the will of God. We're seeking that the very best we know how. And we all got a job to do to make that work. So if you're thinking, well, someone else will do it, just remember, I am the someone else that's going to do it. Throughout church history, great men and women have answered the call. Many of those people will never be known or seen, never be recognized in this lifetime. But they didn't wait for someone else. Abraham was called. He didn't wait for someone else. He went and did it. Moses, even though in the fiery bushes said, go and set my people free, he didn't want to do that. He said, God, send Aaron. I'm slow of speech. I can't do this. Let let me tell you something. If you're thinking, I can't do anything for God, you're in good company. Because there's a lot of people in Scripture, and a man that stands before you said the same thing for many years. I can't do this. But again, I say to you, God will give you the grace to do anything that that he's called you to do and gifted you to do. You can do it. Because it's not you doing it, it's the grace of God on your life that will do it through you and for you. So Moses stepped out in faith and he set the children of Israel free from their captivity. Gideon's hiding in a wine press, threshing his wheat. God called him a man of valor. He was a coward. He was hiding in sheepish secrecy. But God didn't see him that way. You might see yourself as, I'm, I, I don't want to take on the enemy. God looks at you and says, Hail thy mighty man of valor. Hell, thy woman of great strength and nobility, rise up and take your place and do what I have called you to do, and I will gift you and grace you to do it. So Gideon took 300 men and defeated an army with so many camels, they couldn't even number them. 300 men. They were outnumbered like 100 and something to one. Never even raised a sword stuck a lamp in a pot and a shofar and they broke the pot and blew the shofar drove the enemy crazy they started killing each other and they just sit there and watch the chaos went down and picked up the spoils they didn't wait for someone else to do it and even jesus even jesus I don't know if you get this or not, but he knelt down in the garden and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Sometimes we're afraid. We don't think we can do it. God, guys, it's not about what you will, but what he wills. This ministry has been victorious over the years because many of you standing here this morning, and some of us maybe not even here, answered the call, and you stepped up and took your place, and you did what God called you and gifted you to do. That's why you see ministry that has succeeded in an area where many ministers have attempted and failed. We've been here for 22 years now and I'm not boasting. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If I'm boasting, I'm boasting on you and answering the call of God and the gift that God has placed in your life. Because this ministry would have never succeeded if it had not been for you who stepped up and said, I'm not going to wait for someone else to do it. I'm going to do it. Come on, church. You are that someone else. What are you doing for the cause of Christ? So if you hear someone say, well, someone ought to do this. If you see something, right, you're like, well, somebody ought to. Huh? How many times? Well, somebody ought to. We really ought to. Somebody. Well, God may have showed that to you for a reason. Some of you have learned, I'm a little bit nervous about going to the pastor and saying, well, somebody ought to this or that. I'm like, praise God, I agree 100% with you. When do you want to start? Because if God showed it to you, there's a real good possibility that you are the one that God is calling to do that thing. You say that I can't. when you say, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthened you. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our head and pray. And I'd like to sing one more song, and then I'm going to dismiss you. About the goodness of God. Because he is good. And he'll be good to you in everything that you do. God will continue to be good to you I believe that Kathy we're praying for you this morning Mike we're praying for you and your family this morning those that are grieving but you need to know God is still good he is still good to you no, God we we thank you for Buddy God we thank you for the, the just the heart that he had God he was humorous he liked to joke God he was he was a good man Kathy would freely tell you and Buddy would freely tell you. She said, we didn't start out on a good foundation. What a tremendous testimony of redemption that she and Buddy and their family have, Lord. As I, as I sat there, Jeannie and I went to their home, Lord, expecting to be a blessing. And we were blessed, Lord, as I listened to her sons and, and Buddy's son, Lord, as they gave the testimony of how God just redeemed their life. And what an amazing story, Lord. You're so good, God. You're so good. Lord, we'll miss Buddy. Father, I pray that you continue to strengthen his family, Lord, strengthen Kathy. Lord, we pray, God, for Mike and pray for his family, Lord, as they're mourning the loss of his mom. God, she lived a long, long, full life, Lord, but she had a lot of struggle, and battle at the end. But, Lord, you've taken her to a reward, God. She's in a place of rest, Lord. We can rejoice on that because, Lord, you said that we don't mourn like those that have no hope because, Lord, we do have hope. And then, Father, we thank you for Central Virginia Assembly of God. Lord, we thank you for what you've done here, God. We thank you for what you're doing. And God, by faith, we thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. Lord, the enemy is waging war against not just this church, but the body of Christ as a whole, Lord, through all of this chaos that we're seeing in the world today. But, Lord, we know that we cannot be defeated, Lord, because, Lord, you are going to take us through to victory, Lord because, Lord, you are ultimately our leader, and you are a perfect leader, Lord. And, God, when we follow you, you Lord, we know that we will always wind up winning the game, Lord. So, Lord, we pray that you would just move on every person's heart. Show them today, God, the specific thing that you have for them to do. Lord, grace them to do it. Gift them to do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we just want to praise you for your goodness, Lord, as we sing how good you've been to us, Lord.